Welcome to Character First, a podcast focusing on developing confidence, empathy, resilience, and 21st century skills for our children and our future. You're listening to Character First, Episode 6, featuring Dr. Donna Volpitta, founder of the Center for Resilient Leadership. Hi, Donna. Great to have you here. Thanks for joining us on the program. Thank you for having me. I'm excited about it. So we're here today to talk about the Center for Resilient Leadership. Tell us a little bit about it. All right. At the uh, Center for Resilient Leadership, what our goal is, is to make brain science easy to understand and apply so that people can make more mindfully resilient choices. So what that really means is taking what we know about brain science, and in particular the brain science of resilience, what happens when we're responding to challenge, and help people to understand what's happening in their brain so that they can then begin to understand how to react differently. That's great. So demystifying the brain, which isn't easy to do, it's a pretty complicated organ from, from what I understand. <laughs> and, and it also, you know, the thing about the brain is it does a lot of its stuff on its own. The idea of controlling our brain, there's, there's some things that we can and some things that we can't. And particularly for young people, how do you go about making this education useful, how they can actually do something uh, to control what their brain would otherwise be doing? It's a really good question. I, I'm an educator by trade. I was a teacher for many years. So my goal is to make stuff simple. So I developed a model called the Resilient Mindset Model. And it uses four characters to teach how your brain responds to challenge. So we all face challenges, good, bad, big, or small. And I always say that our resilience is our response to that challenge. And in the model, I use four characters to represent the different parts of the brain that that are in charge of how we respond. So to make it simple, they're really cute, fun characters. And when we respond to challenge, we think of our decisions as good versus bad. Our brains actually don't think of good and bad. Our brains look at it as long-term versus short-term. So there's a part of the brain that's in charge of our long-term choices, like putting money in the bank, going for a run, eating healthy, going to the doctor, the things that are going to benefit us in a while. And the character that represents that and the cortex of the brain is the ant. The ant is in charge of our long-term choices. There's also a part of the brain called the limbic system. It's the emotional brain, and it's in charge of our short-term survival. It really doesn't care how you do on that test next week. It wants you to sit in front of the TV with a bag of Cheetos because <laughs> that's what it wants right now. It doesn't care about the future. There's a part of the limbic system called the amygdala, and the amygdala is in charge of looking out for threats to survival. The amygdala in the, in the model is represented by a glowworm. When the glowworm sees a threat to survival, like a car coming at us, she goes red alert, and she, her job is to switch control of the brain from the ant to the grasshopper. And he goes fight, flight, or freeze. He gets us out of the way of the oncoming car. He's really critical to survival. But then what a lot of people don't know is that the brain responds the same way to social threats and rewards. So when we're threatened socially, she also goes red alert and she switches control of the brain from the ant to the grasshopper. That's kind of where peer pressure comes in, right? So it's not like people are sitting around saying, come on, you got to do it, you got to do it. But when we're in that situation, we feel this social threat of if I don't do it, I'm going to be left out. And so we make decisions that are in the short term rather than the long term. The fourth character is the dragonfly. And she's in charge of mindfulness. When we're mindful and we really we have that awareness, we can 
grow that ability to be able to override that glowworm and say, you know what? Don't switch control of the brain from the ant to the grasshopper. I want to make decisions that are in the best long-term interest. I don't have to go grasshopper and go fight, flight, or freeze right now. The best example of that that I have is when I was developing the model, my youngest son was six years old. And one day he was really ticked at me and I was really ticked at him. But I went to talk to him and he turned around to me and he said, Mom, I can't talk to you right now. I'm in grasshopper mode. (laughs) So it's really the idea of he was able to override. Now, is he able to do that all the time? Absolutely not. Am I able to do that all the time? Absolutely not. But we're able to do it a lot more because we understand what's happening. We can begin to understand the triggers. We can begin to avoid those situations where we might make bad decisions. We, We can plan ahead and prepare for that. That's great. So it seems like the dragonfly plays a significant role. So you, you, you call the organization the Center for Resilient Leadership. There's a lot of things going on in the brain, but your focus is on resilience. And it's something that's talked about a lot now. And a, a lot of people are saying, you know, our kids lack resilience. Our, our young adults lack resilience. Kids in college need safe spaces. Um, kids can't really handle criticism mm-hmm. or failure all that well. What, what is happening in society today that is causing this, you think? Are there more things that are triggering it today? Is life more complex for kids? Um, you know, what's going on? One of the things I, I talk about in terms of mindfulness, there are a couple things. Number one, I, I say mindful meditation, that mindful time where we're actively switching control from default mode, where we're really actively engaging in thinking about things. That mindful practice is like sending your dragonfly to the gym. <laughs> if you can have that practice and really build that, it's like a muscle. It's the ability to override and you can begin to to really strengthen that ability through mindful meditation and mindful practice. The world itself has gotten a lot less mindful. Kids don't have that downtime. They're engaged in activities all day. Then they're engaged, then they're in front of their phones. They don't have that downtime to really think and recognize and that, that green space going outside. They also don't have nearly as many opportunities to work stuff out on their own and figure it out. You go by the playgrounds and they're empty. And that's really where kids develop that sense of understanding how they can respond to challenge. Um, Part of the model is what I call the four S's of resilience, that our response to any challenge is guided by the way we think of four S's. Self, situation, support structures, and strategies. And kids, as they learn to solve problems, they learn about that. That's where they create those brain pathways about, wow, who am I? Oh, wow, look, I, I created this you know, dam over the river at the playground. I was able to get across this. That feels really good. I can succeed. And when they get that, they get that sense of accomplishment. They get that sense of resilience. And that teaches them what strategies work. How do they use their supports? Is this challenge really that critical? If they don't have opportunities to work out problems and solve problems, they don't develop those skills. And then they head off to college, and they don't have those problem-solving skills. So it's almost like uh, 
It's kind of frightening. It's almost like a double whammy where all of this structured time and all of these scheduled activities are not only probably causing more time where they're potentially getting these triggers and having to contend with being mindful in all of those situations because they're, they're higher stress situations when you're playing a sport or an instrument or a dance recital or studying and, and you're, you're around adults or parents and so forth. And at the same time, all of that extra time is actually reducing the unstructured and play time, which to your point, it sounds like that's the time when you actually get to use that dragonfly skill. And when you're using it, when you're not under acute pressure, you actually develop the ability to, to be more mindful when you are. Yeah. The other, and, and I am constantly saying to parents, please give them unstructured time. Give them time to sit and reflect. Give them time to work stuff out on their own where they're not in front of a screen. The other part of that is mindfulness is part of balancing. So we have the ant part of the brain, the cortex, and we have the grasshopper, the limbic system. When kids are constantly getting stuff fed to them immediately, that's feeding the grasshopper. So whether it's that like on their social media feed, or whether it's that they get food right away, or whether it's that, you know, they, they don't wait for pictures to be developed. Everything is immediate, and that feeds the limbic system. And what we're doing is we're putting that out of balance. Um, so they're not sort of getting that opportunity to flex those muscles of waiting and thinking ahead and impulse control and all of that stuff that they need for a healthy brain. You're listening to Character First, hosted by Derek Correa. I see how it actually becomes a mindset through, through all of those processes of learning and, and, and kids thinking through things on their own and parents and adults not jumping in all the time with the answers, <laughs> which, you know, we're prone to do. So another mindset that's a big thing now, especially, you know, for raising children is Carol Dweck's work. Do these two things dovetail? And, and as a parent, we're, we're getting all of this, you know, there's an enlightenment happening right now with yes. all of these earnest things that we thought we were doing that were wonderful <laughs> for our kids. All of a sudden, they're you know, it's sort of like when they told you to eat margarine and then you started eating margarine and they're like, no, margarine's terrible. Go back to butter. Like all of, you know, this earnest parenting seems oftentimes to be the cause of these problems. So we're we're learning about growth mindsets now. And, oh, no, you were wrong to praise your kid for being terrific. You should have praised them for working real hard. And now we're learning about, no, you, all of these things that you scheduled for your kid are causing problems. You need to just leave them alone. You know, it's okay that they're bored. It's not your job to entertain them, right? How do these two things, are, and do they dovetail? And, and, like, how do you put them together with something actionable for a parent to change, say, today? Absolutely. I, I, my favorite line is the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Like I, <laughs> so I have true. no doubt that parents have great intentions for their kids. Um, you know, we were told, oh, put them in activities but that, you know, great intentions, but it has had a detrimental effect. And interesting, I heard Carol Dweck speak a couple years ago, and she is facing the same problem that she had all this work about growth mindset and it's wonderful the work that she's done and her ideas are wonderful but what she has found is that in implementation it has hurt some of the most vulnerable kids what she's finding is people are are interpreting it that growth mindset just means as long as they try it's okay and what and she's like that's not what i meant that was not her intent at all 
the idea is kids need to learn that they can work and they can grow their mindset. So yes, it dovetails really well, but I think that the growth mindset is often misinterpreted. And the idea is kids need to learn that when they work, they can get that path. They can learn these skills. They haven't learned it, but they haven't learned it yet. I was at a conference once and they said, if only we could teach growth mindset, if we knew how to have a framework to teach growth mindset. And I was like, oh, oh, I know that one. (laughs) Um, And I really believe the four S's are a resilient mindset, but it's also the growth mindset. It's looking at what was the result what are, what are you doing? How are you responding to this challenge? And then is your strategy working? If you studied for two hours and you got a D, studying the same way for four hours is not going right. to help you. <laughs> and so saying to, to the kids, oh, you did a great job because you tried hard. Well, no, they have to learn to try sm- to Try differently. Differently. Yeah. And so it's the idea of reflecting on those four S's and saying, you know, what did you learn about yourself in this as you handled this? What did you learn about your support systems? Did you try and do it on your own? Because so often we, we end up in, in our schools, we focus in on individualism. And that's not how the world works. Right. I heard a great story the other day. Uh, a teacher was talking about a colleague that was worried they're going to get fired after a parent-teacher conference, and they were a French teacher. And this parent had come in and said, my daughter's not doing well in French. She's getting C's and D's. You know, I, I, I didn't do well in French. I couldn't learn French, and, you know, she just can't learn French. And uh, the teacher paused for a second and said to the parent, well, you know, it's a good thing she wasn't born in France. As the the, the answer. It's a great one. It's a great response, right? It's so true. It's all about uh, adaption and and trying different things. And failure is only an opportunity to try the same thing in a different way, right? That's a fundamental aspect. So... One of the I noticed one of the other things that your your company offers is a personal branding product, and you know most people understand personal branding in general. It's been a concept that's around for a while. It's become even more important in the age of social media, and a lot of parents are trying to help their kids understand that a personal brand isn't just what you want it to be or what you tried to curate, but basically everything that's ever out there that's tied to you the sum total of that is is your personal brand. So, you know, it's becoming even more important for college ascension and kids that intend to go to college is almost becoming a process of, hey, we're a competitive school. Like there's a lot of kids that have great ACT and SAT scores. There's a lot of kids that have weighted average GPAs over four and worked at the soup kitchen and played two sports and got an award. But this concept of what is this kid really about? What is... Mm-hmm the brand of this child and is that brand one that will make our campus community better is that brand of child the kind of of kid that we want here for four years and then when they're out in the world for the rest of their lives that they're they reflect what our school is all about that it that's becoming a big aspect of it i mean it matters for a lot of different reasons but tell us about how you help young people understand that and and better manage that for whatever their goals or objectives might be. So the idea of your brand was for a number of reasons. When I I looked at the four S's, and self is a big part of that, the decisions that we make in terms of resilience, how we respond to challenge, so much of that is based on the way that we think about ourselves. And one of the things I read in Carol, in not Carol Dweck, excuse me, um, Julia Lithcott-Hames wrote a book 
called How to Raise an Adult. And one of the things, she was a dean at Stanford University, and she said the more impressive the resumes got for college, the less kids knew about themselves, the less self-understanding they had. And she used a great metaphor. She, she says, she calls them um, bonsai children. She said <laughs> that the kids, you know, are pruned so beautifully and they look so great on paper. Their resumes are amazing, but in a conversation with an adult, they have no idea how to answer. They don't know who they are. They don't know what they care about. And I thought that it was really important for kids and adults really to actively engage in thinking about who they are, but also the way other people see them. And does that match? So I developed your brand. They're online activities for people to really proactively think about who they are and what they stand for. And some of the stuff is individual, but a lot of it is meant to be interactive, is meant for people to go out and, and do these activities and then talk to other people about it. So I'll give you an example. One of the activities is if you were. And it's a branding activity that branding companies use all the time. And so it's, you know, if you were a TV show, what would you be and why? If you were a food, what would you be and why? And I did it, and I, I said, you know, if I were a food, I'd be a hamburger. And so I, my husband was looking over my shoulder, and he said, oh, you ain't no hamburger. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? And he said, you're a lasagna. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean I'm a lasagna? And he said, you've got so much going on. You've got so many different layers. You've got to be the whole meal in one. And I was like, oh, I kind of like that. I, I really like that lasagna. So, okay, that gave me feedback and really made me think about who I am, and, and I liked that. And then I had it down on, on the paper, and one of my friends looked at it, and she said, oh, you're not a lasagna. And I was like, what do you mean? She said, he's right about the different layers, but you're always on the run, and you're always doing so much that you're, you're really running quickly from one thing to another, so you're a taco. And I was like, you know what? I really don't want to be a taco. <laughs> I'd rather be a lasagna. And so it doesn't matter what you are, but to get feedback from people and say, do I want to change? Do I want to try not to be a taco, to try to be more of a lasagna? Because I don't want to be having like people feel it like I'm always running. depends on what running. kind of taco. <laughs> I, mean, <that's... laughs> I mean, a truck taco. <laughs> but it's really, it's important because that the feedback is not quite as... Um, threatening as if somebody said oh you're too this or too that right. it's this is the way I see you and you just have to take that for what it is it doesn't matter whether you're a filet mignon a taco or you know it doesn't matter that's a real the, the process is a really interesting thing right because and even the branding terminology I'm, I'm, a, I'm a marketing person so <clears throat> spent a lot of my career working on brands and building brands and when you get it right it's both the intrinsic and the extrinsic it's mm -hmm. For a brand to be really powerful and compelling, it has to truly be what it's wanting to be for real. And then it has to put that out in ways that everybody else believes that it's that too, right? If you have, if you have one without the other in the world of marketing and business, your, your brand has problems. Mm -hmm. And the same is kind of true for, for people, right? It's, it's interesting that the, the brand exercise isn't just one of how do you want yourself to be perceived and here's how you go about it. But it actually starts with who are you really and right. who could you be and who do you want to be and the, and the thought process that goes into that kind of thing is, is super powerful. So you've covered a lot of ground and given, given our listeners a lot to think about. 
If you were to tell parents, what's, what, what would be the most important single thing you could tell a parent um, that they could understand and perhaps have impact the way they, they parent their child? What would, what would that be? I think it would be let them fail and always focus towards independence. So whatever kids are doing, you want to always think about how can I help them to get to the point where they're independent. So let them go and do stuff. Sometimes around here we have to proactively go out of our way to give kids the opportunity to be independent. Um, it's so true, right? And the funny thing is, if you ask any parent, hey, would it be, you think it would be swell if your kids still lived at home with you when they're 25? They would all say, no, please, no, no, anything but that. Yet at the same time, you know, we do so much. And again, it's that whole good in- intentions thing, right? We do so many things that are, are well-intentioned and serve to undermine giving those kids their own agency to make decisions and make mistakes and to grow independent. Kids are doing amazing things at young ages. If we let them, if we don't stand in their way, they really can do amazing things. They sure can. So where can uh, where can our listeners find out more about the center? Our website is www.centerforresilientleadership.com and we have all sorts of stuff. We just published a children's book about the brain. So that was really cool. Fantastic. Thanks so much for coming in today. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Character First. Character First is sponsored by Role Model Mentors. 